I have the uh, privilege of introducing our speaker this morning. I know that you know this, but uh, growing up as a young person today is very difficult. When I grew up a thousand years ago, I faced all the issues that every adolescent faces in trying to become an adult in an adult world, but I did it in an environment of complete safety. The culture around me helped me grow up. I could go to and from school without fearing uh, that I would be attacked. I could actually get on a campus without having to go through a metal detector. I could do my homework sitting in a chair, not laying on the floor for fear of a drive-by shooting. We minister in a difficult time today, and we praise God for our youth pastors who are not second-class pastors. They pastor to the families and to the youth of our church, and they provide that avenue of peace and safety in the storm. Uh, without them, our kids have no hope. And so it really is uh, my privilege to introduce to you the pastor of our senior high ministries, Pastor David Lockwood. Would you join me in welcoming him to the pulpit? morning. I've always wondered what the top of this podium looked like because I only see it coming up. And uh, Does anyone else have dreams of like pastors standing on it someday and like rising up before he speaks? I, I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I think it would be funny. Well, I'm, uh, I'm privileged to be here. I'm very glad to be part of a church that values youth ministry. Um, not just the leadership, but I know all of you. You've been so supportive as we've done trips, as we've done fundraisers. Um, I know there's many of you out there who are praying for us, and I, I can't be more grateful um, for anything than for that. Uh, there's a, a dear sister in this church who is constantly coming to me, and she's saying, how can I be praying? What are the names of the people serving with you? And it's the hugest blessing to know that, that uh, God has called me to a family, a body of believers that cares about children, that cares about youth. And so... I'm, uh, I'm glad to be here. I've got amazing pastors to work under, um, Pastor Phil and Pastor Rich and Big Dave, uh, men who've cared for me and invested in me. And so it's, a, it's truly an honor and a, a blessing to be up here this morning. I hope I can be as much of a blessing to you as this church has been to me. Uh, as I was talking with Pastor and I was showing him what I was going to be going over for this week, uh, he was looking at it and he goes, wow, that's a lot. You, you're going to need a, a three-part series to get through this. And and uh, which, of course, he won't give me, but <laughs> it, was a, it was a nice thought. And then the next day I was talking to Pastor Giese, and he, he gave me a statistic. He said, you know, the human brain can gather about 400 words a minute, but we usually only speak about 120 words a minute. So I was thinking about what Pastor said and what Sean said, and I figured I'm just going to talk three times faster than I normally do so I can get across everything that I want to to you today. Does that sound good? All right, let's go. <laughs> oh, you're good. Okay, cool. I'll just... We'll blaze through. We'll be out of here in five minutes. It'll be great. Oh, uh, Pastor had asked me to give you a picture of what youth ministries is like today. Rich gave a little bit uh, before he came up here. And I need to tell you that there are some amazing things that God is doing in the youth ministry, especially here at Valley Bible Church. Uh, we have seen students wrestle with the gospel, and many of them make genuine commitments, genuine uh, trust in the Lord. We've seen faith. We've seen things that are exciting. We've got to baptize children. We've uh, seen students involved in small groups. We've seen students sharing Christ with their friends, being bold on a campus that is hostile 
to Christianity. We've seen them serving. We took a bunch of students uh, two years ago down to uh, Fresno, and we packaged over one million um, soup packets that were going to be sent out around the world. We've got a mission trip coming up to San Francisco next month that I'm taking some students to, to be uh, serving the homeless, caring for the city. Um, so God has been at work in amazing ways, and we've got, we've got a lot of leaders. We've got some very, very selfless leaders who have given their time, their energy, their money, and so there's been some amazing things going on. Um, we do always need more leaders, but there's been some great ones. But I've also seen some, some hard things, some crazy things, some difficult things since I've been here. Um, some things that are frustrating sometimes, if I'm being honest, uh, as, I, as I work with the Lord. Um, since I've been here, I've uh, dealt with multiple students who have attempted suicide. There have been far too many students since I've been here who have gotten in trouble for weapons possession. Um, had a, a gun or a knife. There have been more instances of students who um, get involved with drugs, who get involved with gangs, who allow satanic influences into their lives and embrace them. There are students who, um, whose sexuality is, is completely gone awry. There is rampant exploration in sexuality. There is um, pregnancy scares. Um, I've even, since I've been at this church, met with students, or a student rather, who uh, had begun to sell himself into homosexual prostitution. The youth in this culture live in a system um, that's so overrun with child abuse and neglect that there's times where I've tried to place calls to the authorities uh, to let them know about an abuse case and could not even get a call returned. And we're, we're saddened because most of the things that go on in the lives of our students we probably never even hear about. And I want to say these things to you because I want you to understand the kind, of, the kind of culture that we live in, the kind of culture um, and what this does to the children, to our students. We're crushed to hear about it. And we know that, that many times it's the result of sinful choices. We see that, uh, that many of the things that happen are our personal choices, their personal sin choices. And uh, Pastor Paul and myself are constantly bringing it before the students that we own our sin. It's not we can't blame it on everyone else or anything else. It's up to us and that we need to come before the Lord. We need Christ. Apart from the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we have no chance of anything in this life. We have no chance of anything in this culture. And so we put that before our students constantly that there is um, a responsibility on their part to recognize their sin, to repent of their sin, to come to Christ who is willing to give them grace and forgiveness. But at the same time, I look at all this and I, I think that there's, there's got to be something else going on here. I think that there has to be something else in our culture that is creating this kind of environment. Sin has been around since the beginning of time, but things haven't always been like this. And as I, I pray about it and I think about it, I try and wonder what, what is going on, what has happened that, that we have a culture that is so hostile to you, a culture that is so hard to grow up in, a culture that um, hates Christianity, that uh, loves all the things that will destroy us. What is the cause of that? I believe there's one thing that can attribute to all of this, one thing that um, an epidemic in our society that, that I really think is, is part of it. And, and it's not the only thing, but I think this is huge. 
And that is the fact that we live in a world that is becoming and has already become fatherless. We live in a world that has so little fatherly influence, so little parental guidance. Now, I know there's, there's some great fathers in this church. I know there's some great loving parents. And uh, I'm not knocking you. I'm, I'm so glad that we have you. But across the board, as I think these statistics I'm about to read will show, we're missing our fathers. Uh, I'm going to read you a, a short piece from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. It says, The new data from the National Center for Health Statistics reveals an across-the-board tragedy. All measures of childbearing by unmarried women rose to historic levels in 2007, with the number of births, birth rate, and proportion of births to unmarried women increasing by 3 to 5 percent, the center's statisticians reported. Altogether, nearly 40 percent of all children born in 2007 entered the world without a married mother and father in the home. 40 percent. Among whites, it was 27.8%. Among blacks, it was 71.6%. Among Hispanics, it was 51.3%. By every measure, what you know instinctively is confirmed by academic studies. Children are suffering in a society that has gotten used to there not being any fathers around, that has gotten used to that. I was talking with Daryl McMillan, a brother in this church, and he was telling me he works in uh, he works with youth and at-risk youth. And he said that one time in a um, a local juvenile correctional facility that had 205 young men, he said five of them had a relationship with their father, a good relationship with their father. Five of the men, 205. Think about that relation, that ratio. Think about what that means for us. Many of you uh, probably remember the Saturday Night Live skit in which uh, they mocked Sarah Palin and uh, Hillary Clinton. And you had Tina Fey acting as Sarah Palin saying, I can see Russia from my house. And we saw that during the elections. And, you know, everyone got a good laugh out of that and thought it was funny. But it was interesting that at the, shortly after that was all going on, there was this, this big event that took place that might not have seemed big to people, but uh, Sarah Palin's daughter, Bristol who was pregnant during the pregnancy and was engaged to this man, Levi, um, they, they ended their engagement while she was pregnant. And he went on Good Morning America and he told them, he said, um, you know, we're just going to remain friends for now and we're both cool with that. And I think that's a huge event because I think that that's just a picture of the society we live in, the society that says, you know what? Fatherhood, seeing parents that care about each other is probably really not all that important. You know what? We'll just... Yeah, we'll be friends, it'll work out. And I think that is a picture of how we're raising our children. I know that even in saying this, there's, there's some, uh, some people here that have very, very hard hearts uh, towards the idea of a father. I know that there's some women who have been brokenhearted because their husbands would not raise their children. They wouldn't care for them. I know there's some women in this room who um, maybe never had a father themselves. Or some men who never had a father, never learned what it was like. I know there's some women in this room that have had to leave their children's father for their safety and for their children's safety. I know there are some who have had a pretty good relationship with their father. I know there's some men in this room who would love to be more of a father to their children, but because of visitation rights, they only get to see him once a month, if that. 
And so whatever your situation you're in this morning, whatever uh, you have felt towards God, towards your own Father, um, I, I would ask us to do two things this morning. And the first is this. Wherever you are, if you've had a great dad, if you haven't had a dad, if you're in some hard situation where um, your children's father can't be around or you can't be with your children, I would ask us to consider two things. The first being this. Wherever we are, God wants us to know that He yearns that we would trust Him as Father. He yearns that we would trust Him as Father. There's nothing else He wants more, I think, than for us to get a picture of Him as Father. And especially for those who have embraced Christ's love, those who can truly be called children of God because of what Jesus did on the cross, because we've had faith in that, we get to come to God and call Him Father. Psalm 68, 5 calls God a father to the fatherless. In a generation that's becoming so void of fathers, it's good to know that God desires to be a father to the fatherless. Deuteronomy 10.18 says He defends the cause of the fatherless. John 1.12 says, To those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Especially for those who have believed in His name. We've got an opportunity and a privilege as followers of Christ. For those of us who have truly repented, come to Christ, embraced His love, embraced what He did on the cross, we get to have a special intimacy with God, a special closeness with God as our Father that no one else gets to experience. Sure, there's times where in Acts, Paul is talking, I believe it's on Mars Hill, and he, uh, he says, he quotes a, um, a verse from the, this culture, and, and he says, we, you know, we all can call God our Father, basically. And there's a verse in Malachi that sort of has the idea that God is the Father over everyone through creation. But for those of us who have embraced Christ's love and grace, we get a special intimacy, a special closeness that we get to call God His Father. For those of us who haven't had a father, that's really, really good that we can do that. That's great that we can look at him as that. Jesus taught us to pray, our father, when we address God. Think about that. When Jesus said, you come before God, the way he says, I want you to address God and all the reverence and holiness and everything that he deserves, being bigger and more creative, more incredible, more majestic than anything we could ever imagine. He says, I want you to come to Him and call Him Father. That's what God wants. He wants us to call Him Father. Papa. Daddy. Implying trust. Implying that we, we understand that He is there for us. That He loves us. That He deeply cares for us. Matthew 7 has this to say about God as a Father. In verse 7 it says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Friends, do you see that God wants us to trust in His provision as a Father? In a time where economics are confusing and frustrating and hard, He wants us to trust in Him. And it's good to know, too, because the Bible says He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I don't know if anyone else has a dad that rich. But knowing that my Father, who has the cattle on a thousand hills and cares for me and tells me that I should come to Him and ask, that I should trust in His provision, trust that He can take care of me, that He can provide for my family... I can trust that when, when things happen and, and jobs are lost, when hard times come, when I owe more taxes than I had any idea was possible, 
I can trust in His provision. And that's so good for me to know. That's so good to know that no matter what happens in my life, I don't need to worry about it. I can come to Him. He can make it happen. He can provide in ways that we don't understand. I've got to tell you a quick story. Um, we, uh, my wife recently had to stop working as a... Um, She's pregnant right now, and the baby basically makes her really dizzy, so she had to stop driving. And as a result, we're, we're wondering, okay, God, this is going to change our financial picture. This is going to make things a little bit more difficult. And as we began to pray and we began to seek the Lord, it's amazing to me how creative God is with the way that He provides. She got a check in the mail for some, uh, some missed uh, sick time, I think it was, that, that she didn't use. And she goes, oh, they sent a second check. I already got this check. And so she called up the company and she said, hey, you guys sent this check. And the lady goes, you know, I thought we did too. And she checked the computer and goes, no, it's not in the computer. There's no record of it. We, we had already cashed the check. And we wanted to be right before God. So we called up and, and the lady checked, goes, no, nope, we never gave it to you. So take it, cash it. I look at that as the hand of God providing. My, my Father God just coming through. There was a, it's amazing, isn't it? There was another time um, when I was praying. I was just praying, God, you know, I, I don't know how I'm going to get through this month. Finances are really, really tight this month. I don't know where you are going to, um, or how you are going to come through, but I know you are. And, and I was praying this and trusting in the Lord. About two days later, I get a call from a friend and she goes, um, Hey, I, I've got a question for you. Do you want to work um, this big concert? And uh, all you have to do is basically like organize the crowd a little bit and you'll make $300 in one night for, uh, um, what was it? Lenny Kravitz. I'm not sure if any of you know him. Uh, huge, huge, like famous musician. And it was just so funny to me. I'd been praying going, God, I know that you can provide. I don't know where the money will come from, but I know that you can provide and he comes through. We can trust in our God to provide for us in a time of need, and that's great. That's good to know, especially for those of us who haven't had fathers, who maybe grew up with a single mom, who grew up in a situation that was hard, where finances weren't easy. That's good to know that we can trust in God's provision. John MacArthur says, Whatever you seek, whether it's peace, fellowship, knowledge, victory, or boldness, God has an abundant supply in the heavenlies. We only need to ask our Father for it. Friends, we don't just have a Father who is rich and abundant and wants to give us good things. We have a Father who is able to give us good things. We can trust in that. In addition to His provision, there's other things that we see about the fatherly attributes of God. Hebrews 13.5 He's quoting the Old Testament here, the, the writer of Hebrews. He says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? What do we see there? We see that God is intimate, that He is close to us. For many of us, um, many of us had fathers who were distant. Fathers who wanted nothing to do with us. Fathers who would have probably preferred that we weren't born. And if that was the case for you, I want to tell you, God will never leave you. He will be close. He will remain closer than any friend. His fatherly love will be there for you no matter what you are going through. He will be there for you. He will never leave you. We can trust in Him for protection. 
We don't have to worry about what's going to happen to us. If we're abiding in His will, if we're abiding in His love, if we're trusting in Christ, we get to look at God as our Father who cares for us, provides for us, and protects us. In a society that is hostile towards Christianity. On many of my students, I talk to them, and they say on their campuses, one of the hardest things is to, to represent Christ. Because you start talking a little bit and you will be attacked. You will be um, overwhelmed with people who are insulting you, belittling you, ridiculing you. And that might just be the teachers. That might not even be the students. How good is it to know that God is our Father who wants to protect us, who wants to provide for us? He promises to never leave us doesn't matter if you're at the side of a grave and you've just buried a loved one. doesn't matter if you're feeling lonely or in a helpless situation. It doesn't matter where you are. We can trust in God for that, for He is near, He is close to us, and His love abounds. It endures forever. He will never leave us. Uh, a friend of mine was speaking on um, anxiety, talking from Philippians 4 about anxiety, and he was talking about how we need to learn to trust in God. God, our Father, we need to trust in Him. And he, he gave this story. He said, my little girl, um, she was learning to walk, and in, in our house there was stairs, and so every time she would go down the stairs, I would help her and I would hold her hand, and we would you know, take one step at a time so she didn't fall, and we'd go very carefully down the stairs. He said, as this happened more and more, as she got more used to it, she would just start walking towards the stairs even if he wasn't there. And usually he'd find her, and so he'd come up, oh, okay, let me help you, and so grab her hand. Well, he said there was this one time. He was sitting in his office over here, you know, the door's open, and out of the corner of his eye, whatever, whatever the case was, he hadn't seen her yet, and out of the corner of his eye, he sees his daughter about to step off, and she does the coolest thing. She reaches up her hand like this. Daddy's not even there, but she's been so accustomed to it. She's been so accustomed to his help and his, his care that she just reaches up her hand and starts to go like this. And luckily he got there quick enough. He saw her and he just bolted out of his chair and caught her hand. But he goes, it's a beautiful thing that she trusted in me as a father. She just goes, I'm, Daddy's going to get me. I got this. And she went for it. I believe that's how God wants us to look at him as our father. I believe that is what he would have us see in him. Luke 15, the story is not the story of a prodigal son as many of us have heard or many of us think of it. Luke 15 is the story of an incredibly loving father, a gracious and forgiving father, a father who doesn't choose to look at all of our junk, all of our mistakes, but a father who cares for us, who forgives, who is willing to bring us back. It's the only time in Scripture that God is pictured as being in a hurry, is to welcome someone back. To be able to give his fatherly love again to somebody who's been beat up, who's been distraught, who's been in a, a hard world. I want to read you a, a quote. This is from Henry Nguyen, the book, The Return of the Prodigal Son. He says, Though I am both the younger son and the elder son, which throughout the book he develops the idea that he's not only the younger son in the story, he's the older son who can be self-righteous and thinks that he deserves things from God. It says, though I have um, both the younger son and the elder son, I am not to remain them, but to become the father. No father or mother ever became father or mother without having been son or daughter. But every son and daughter has to consciously choose to step beyond their childhood and become father and mother for others. 
It is a hard and lonely step to take, especially in a period of history in which parenthood is so hard to live well. But it is a step that is essential for the fulfillment of the spiritual journey. He goes on and says, Do I want to be like the Father? Do I want to be not just the one who is being forgiven, but also the one who forgives? Not just the one who is being welcomed home, but also the one who welcomes home. Not just the one who receives compassion, but the one who offers it as well. I said the first thing I wanted us to learn is that we can trust in God as our Father. We can come to Him, whether we've been fatherless or not, whether we've had a, um, a father who loved the Lord, who set an example, or the concept of a father is um, a bad thought in our mind, a scary thing. We are called not just to remain in the Father's love, not just to see God as Father, but we are called to begin showing the Father's love. And I say called, though that's not really how I look at it. I think we have the opportunity to show the Father's love to those in our society. I think we have the opportunity, those of us who are mature believers, who have embraced Christ, to carry forth what God gives us as Father and to give that to a fatherless generation. There exists a devastating assumption that somebody is reaching the youth. But it should never be thought of as realistic that a couple of youth pastors can reach all the students with Christ's love. It shouldn't even be thought of that a few people who are volunteering and a couple youth pastors can reach all the students with Christ's love. We've got some great volunteers in this church, but the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. I want us to see that as we have learned to trust in God as Father, as we can come to God as Father, we need to recognize that the point of His fathership is not just to care for us, because He does. It's not just to love us and to provide for us. He wants to do all those things. He also wants to teach us to become fathers and mothers to a fatherless generation. He wants to move us beyond ourselves. Throughout Exodus and Deuteronomy, uh, God calls Israel to care for the fatherless. He, he sets up a part of the tithe and says, when you're giving your tithes, part of that, I want to go to the fatherless. He says, when they, when they glean in the fields and they gather all their crops, he says, I want you to let the fatherless come in after that. Those who don't have any provision. And God saw that it was part of, or God looked at them as having the responsibility of caring for the fatherless in their society. He says not to take advantage of them. In Isaiah, there's a really, really interesting passage to me. I love reading this. Isaiah, it's a long book. A lot goes on. But in the beginning, there's something really interesting. In chapter 1 of Isaiah, God's speaking through the prophet, and he, he basically throws out some pretty harsh, harsh condemnation. He says, uh, let's... Start in verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the law of God, you people of Gomorrah. He was actually talking to the Israelites. He says, The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams, the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. It says, when you come before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moon, Sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your evil assemblies. Your new moon festivals and appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. 
Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. That's pretty harsh, huh? I don't think any of us wants to hear the Lord say that to us. And the funny thing about that passage is God is actually holding against them things that he told them to do. Many of these things are actually things that were um, implemented that were supposed to be part of their genuine worship. But something had twisted, something had changed, and they started to do the religious activities. They started to do these rituals without having a heart for them. They started to um, do what was required, but there was no heart, there was no sense of worship in them. And so God brings down this, this harsh punishment on them, this harsh judgment and then he says this in verse uh, 16. He says, Stop doing right, learn, stop doing wrong, excuse me, learn to do right. Seek justice, encourage the oppressed, defend the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. You see, God was trying to say to these people, You have made up this false religion, essentially. You've, you've done all the rituals and some of these things, and maybe even added some of your own, but you've forgotten the most important thing. He says, uh, what good is it if you can get all the ritualistic things right? What good is it if you can do, if you can look good on the outside and yet the fatherless, the widows, they're, they're getting oppressed. They're not being taken care of. They're not being provided for. It just makes me think we live in a culture that's so much easier to try and look right, to try and look like we're doing the right Christian thing than to probably actually do it. And I, I say this for myself that, you know, sometimes it would be easier for me to, uh, to not care for a neighbor or a friend or somebody I see who I know needs help and I know I can give that help because it'll make me late to Bible study. And we live in a culture that we, we want to make sure everything's right and we want to, you know, we want to make sure that we, we look like good Christians and, and that's good, that's great. But it can't be at the cost of forgetting to care for those who are in need. Forgetting to care for and love the fatherless. In the New Testament, it's put in like this. In the book of James, it says, Religion that God our Father accepts is pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You see, from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, God says that it should be on the hearts of the faith community to care for the fatherless. It should be on the hearts of, of those who have been loved by our Heavenly Father, who have embraced His fatherly love, to take that and to show it to those who need it. In a society where 40% of the children are born in a home without a father, and that's across the board nationally. I think in the East Bay here, it's probably higher, probably more like 50%. In a society where there's so many crazy things happening, a society where we have, uh, have students who would rather um, videotape on their cell phone a gang rape than do something about it. In a society where young men would shoot up a church during a worship service, Someone needs to be loving the fatherless like Christ has. Someone needs to be reaching out and caring for them and providing the fatherly love that God gives us to the fatherless. In, uh, in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul says that he became the father of the Corinthians in Christ through the gospel. 
He says that as he cared for them, as he ministered to them, as he, he brought them to the cross, he brought them to the, the beauty of Jesus, that he became their father spiritually. That he, he began to nurture them and care for them as a, as a father would a child, but in a spiritual sense. There's students here who, uh, students in our youth ministry, students in this area, who have fathers who care about them, but they've never had any spiritual fathers. They've never had anyone bring them closer to Christ. They've never had anyone to, to mentor them, to come close to them. And I think of all the times in Scripture where there's a, a picture of two people, one mentoring the other. You have Elijah and Elisha, Samuel and Eli, um, Paul and Timothy, or Paul and Titus. Throughout Scripture, we see this idea that, that mentoring, that caring for someone, that being a spiritual father, maybe a spiritual mother to someone who hasn't had it, is something that pleases God, something that is near to God's heart. Some of us feel like we might not have any time to invest. We might feel like, well, our own children barely ever get to see us. We don't want to ruin the one relationship with my own children to, to invest in some other people or um, some other young men or some young women. And I understand that. I think one of the greatest calls that God has given to Christian parents is to raise their children in a way that is pleasing the Lord. Raise their children um, with an understanding of what Christ has done. I think that's one of the greatest things that we can do. And for those of you who have kids, those of you who are involved in raising your kids, I praise you. I've got a baby coming in three months and I can't wait to learn about parenting and fathering and all that. But there's something that I think would be really beneficial. What would it look like if as a church, if as a community of believers, we began to take this idea of fatherless, we began, uh, fatherlessness and we began to care for these students. We began to welcome them into our families and not have to try and look at it as, well, I have to be away from my family in order to serve the fatherless. Why not bring them along? Why not invite a student out to lunch? Why not get to, get to know them and let them see what a godly family looks like? Bring them on a vacation with you. Let them see how a godly man loves his wife. Let them see how a, a godly mother cares for her children and respects her husband. How amazing would that be if we could do that? Uh, I, I had a friend um, who died at the age of 19. She's one of the most amazing people I've ever met. Her name was Han Do. And at her funeral, they read some things that she had posted up on her wall. And one of them was talking about how she wanted to throw a barbecue um, for her neighbors, for her community, to earn the right to speak God's word into their lives. She didn't just want to do a drive-by Jesus shooting. You know what that is, right? You need Jesus. Let me tell you, you got to have Jesus. You're wrong. Da, 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 da. No. She wanted to go to them and care to them so that when they said, why do you care so much? She could say, because of what Christ has done for me. That's why I'm caring for you. That's why I'm willing to be there for you. That was her heart. And I think about that. And this was a busy girl. They said she was at church every single day. If it was praying, if it was serving in youth ministry, uh, a girl who gave so much of herself. And, and I know it's, it's easy for me to look at my life and go, I'm so busy. Lord, I, I want to make a bigger impact. I want to reach people for you, but I just don't know when I have the time. Couldn't God redeem the time? Isn't God, the creator of time, able to, um, to bless us, to respond as we invest in the fatherless in our society? As we bring them along in our family, couldn't God make that time even better? Wouldn't that be great if our young children were raised seeing an idea that we care for the fatherless? Wouldn't that be great if our children were raised with a, a picture that mommy and daddy loved me and they cared for me, but they were also willing 
to care for these other people. They were also willing to bring them in. They were also willing to feed them. Wouldn't that be amazing? Um, let me, I wanted to give you some quick, real quick ideas on, on if you have an interest in this, if you can see that God's heart is for the fatherless and you want to start taking part, uh, I want to give you a couple quick ideas on what that might look like. Um, the Richmond Rescue Mission has got a youth program that they're starting up. Uh, Daryl McMillan works with a lot of at-risk students. He's got some programs for uh, um, sort of uh, parachurch ministries. We've got youth ministries here like bungee soccer and volleyball madness. But you don't even have to get involved with one of those things. Those are great things. We love it. We need pe- people to sign up. But how about just talking to a student at church? How about just that kid who you see in your neighborhood? Bring them in. Welcome them in for dinner. Invite them to church with you. Earn the right to speak Christ's love into them. I think one of the best things that we can ever do for our young people is we can be quick to listen and slow to speak. The, the most amazing thing to me when I was dating my wife is that I had learned her father, whenever she would get into trouble, whenever something was going wrong or she was getting mouthy, not that she ever would, or anything like that, her father would do this amazing thing. He would take her out on a father-daughter date. And I asked him one time, you know, how, how do you have two amazing daughters that are, are such incredible um, godly young women? And what, what was your secret? And he said, I just listened. He said, when something happened, I'd take him out on a date and I'd just listen to him. I wouldn't accuse them. I wouldn't bring all this stuff to them. I wouldn't hold against them, um, you know, what they were wearing or what they did or whatever. I wouldn't come to them with all that. I'd just come and I would listen to them. And I'd talk to them and I'd care for them. And I think as we're called to be quick to listen, I think that that is something that our students need. They need to see that someone cares about them. They need to see that someone is willing to listen, willing to love them. Not just somebody who's come and going, I'm mature in the Lord. Let me tell you how to be mature like me. There's an element where they need that. They need to see that, but they also need people to listen to them. I promise you, I can make this promise to you. None of our students will bite you if you approach them and talk to them. I promise that. If you come up to them after church, well, yeah, I can promise. There's a couple who maybe, yeah, we'll promise. I think it's a good, I think it's a good promise. But talk to them. Get to know them. We see these kids come, and you might see them and go, oh, that's great. We've got these kids here. Well, the the 40% fatherless statistic doesn't only happen outside of the walls of this church. Many of our students walk here on Tuesday or Thursday night because their parents won't drive them. Many of our students um, have no one else in their family who's a believer. Final thing I want to say is this. In Philippians 4.1, Paul's talking, and he's he's writing to this church, and it's it's a letter where he's writing filled with joy. Uh, Despite the circumstances, he has got joy and he's talking about joy. He's talking about rejoicing in the Lord. And he makes this incredible statement in Philippians 4.1. He calls these people his joy and his crown. Now here's a guy who gave his whole life up to, uh, to go across the world. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. All these things so that he could go and tell people about Christ. And as he had given so much, when he got the opportunity to invest in some people, he called them his joy and his crown. Now, I think that there's probably no one in this room who could not use a little more joy in their life. Right? Right? Okay, there we go. Had to make sure you're still awake. I think that everyone in this room could use more joy in their lives. I think that everyone in this room could use a crown. I think that for, for a lot of us, we probably couldn't say that we have any crowns spiritually besides our own children. 
And that's great that we're investing in our children. And I know sometimes the, the time demands of that might not allow, but you could even be praying. You could meet one or two students and just put it on your heart to be praying for them, to be caring for them in that way. Do you want joy in a crown like Paul had? Do you want to be able to look at a face or think of a person's face as you're praying for them and just have your heart well up with joy and go, I have cared for that person. I have loved that person. I don't know if they had a father. They might have. They might not have had a um, a good situation. They might have had a great situation, but I cared for that person and loved them as God loved me. And as the Father loved me, I have loved them. I've made them feel like they were welcomed and they belonged so that they could see Christ's love, so that our society would not be filled with 13-year-olds who are sleeping around and shooting each other, but that they would understand maturity, that they would see what that looks like. So that's my challenge for you. See God's fatherly love for you and be willing to show His fatherly love to the fatherless generation. We've got one more song Jess is going to do right after I pray, so after that you can head out. But I would really encourage you, there's going to be a lot of students around here. Don't freak them out and go up and, uh, you know, put your arm around them and, like, drag them off to lunch. Talk to them. Get to know them. See how you can be praying for them. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, it's so good to call you Father. We are grateful that we can come to you, that we can see you as a loving Father who provides, who cares. But Father, I pray that we would not remain in that place, that we wouldn't just stay there and just soak it all in for ourselves. I pray that the investment that you have given us as a loving Father, I pray that that would heal wounds, but I pray that it would also motivate us to show your love to a fatherless generation. I thank you so much that you have given us an opportunity to do this in Christ. I thank you so much that because of Christ's blood, because of his shed blood on the cross, we can be close enough that you would allow us to call you Father. May we take your love and bring it to this generation. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.